RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Episode 10, Fan Letter to Gene Roddenberry from Beverly Corcoran, March 3rd, 1967. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey Trek fans, welcome back for another edition and a very special edition of The Trek Files this week. I've got a piece of a snapshot in history. We all know how fans think, we all know how fans react. One of one of the major planks in my platform is fans have always been pretty much the same across the spectrum. And I have a very special bit from Gene's Files this week, a fan letter. Fresh from the morning after the very first airing of an episode you may have heard of, This Side of Paradise. I, I, I need to say no more, except that hang on, because I have a very special guest to talk about it today. Friday morning, March 3rd, 1967. Well, thank goodness it finally happened. I've been waiting since September for my hero to blow his cool after watching This Side of Paradise last night. I can see it was all worth waiting for. They almost had to use a net to get me back down out of the clouds this morning. That episode generated more excitement around our office than the time Pat Boone took his first drink bloodthirsty bunch that we are, we rather enjoyed seeing the heroic captain get his lumps from his faithful sidekick, the good old jolly green giant. Sort of like watching the Lone Ranger get pulverized by Tonto. I hope when next season rolls around, we can look forward to seeing that great big hunk of stoic sex appeal, getting another girl to romance, however briefly. I really don't think one mental lapse per season would be too much to ask. That's a better average than most of us humans can hope for. He looks so divinely handsome when he smiles. I hope you will let him do that once in a while, too. A Nimoy fan, Beverly Corcoran, Toledo, Ohio. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Uh, it's so timeless, and yet it's right from the day after This Side of Paradise opened. Well, here to share the firsthand front row experience with that fan letter, uh, many more fan letters, and especially that episode and other Spock-centric episodes, is a dear friend and a name you know. Associate producer and story editor for the animated series, story editor on Next Generation, uh, and story editor for the original series. And first of all, the executive secretary, Gene's right-hand woman, Dorothy D.C. Fontana. I'm so glad you could jump in and, and be with us again for this episode. Thank you for asking. Yes, and I just, I just want to sit back and listen to you talk. <laughs> This is, I mean, this is a wonderful letter. It is a wonderful letter. I never saw it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm glad we could reunite you here after uh, 40 years, 50 years, 50 years. 50 years. <laughs> it's so, in, in a way, sitting here in our era of email and uh, quick texts and all, to see a, the way letters used to be written, but this is a woman. This is from the heartland. I, it's just so many things that um, remind us why Star Trek caught on and why uh, and, and what she's writing about uh, just how it's a great letter to just talk about what it was like in those days uh, getting the fan mail in you were writing but you 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 saw this I things like it we saw things like it I never saw this letter right um, the very first week after we went on the air we got a bag full of mail which was nice the second week we got about three bags of mail and from then on it just 
grew. We got piles of mail every week to the point where we could not deal with it in the office. It had to go to a fan mail answering uh, place. If there was a letter like this that came in, generally it was routed back to us. I, I really should say to Mr. Roddenberry. Um, but uh, most of the mail that was just, uh, can I have a picture of Mr. Spock or Leonard Nimoy? Can I have a picture of William Shatner, etc.? Those were handled by a fan mail answering service. If there was something that was particularly outstanding in a letter, then it was went to the person it was about, if you will. Um, but most of the time, we just didn't have time to answer that much fan mail. There was no way. <laughs> was that well? I, the, the monkeys were on then. Yes, I guess the man from Uncle. But this was that was pretty rare. Right? Yes, yes. Get out of our email era and back to the days of paper and stamps and having bags and bags and bags of and like you said, it ran the gamut. But people that wrote this, – this so much smacks to me of what's going to come later with the fanzine movement yes. and the longer letter columns in, in fanzines, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the subject. This is by sp- – so this is the spring, this side of paradise, which you worked on. Let's talk about that in a second. But as far as the Spock phenomenon, was it apparent by the spring by the time you wrote this side or worked on this side of paradise or was it starting to become apparent? Because then it leads into the whole tension between – the two of the between Nemo and Shatner about who's are we having co-leads and all that it was it was the plus that turned into a little bit of a minus but ultimately was a plus I think Mr. Spock as I recall was a hit right from the beginning and uh, of course Leonard Nemo was a hit um, William Shatner had the heavier degree if you will he'd done so many guest starring roles and things like this that uh, he came in with a heavy duty track record and leonard didn't have quite a heavy duty track record but uh the character gained him such renown that uh i i don't know exactly the percentages of how much mail went to leonard demoy how much mail went to bill shatner but it was a lot of mail and uh as i said we couldn't handle it it came in so much well, this she she's got a delightful attitude yes. about the stoic <laughs> sex appeal, which is, is, I mean, I'm on a platform, I'm on a soapbox often, about talking about how much of early fandom, no matter what people may re- revisit history now, it was women driving it because of because of that very aspect. Spot. I mean, heroic Captain Kirk got his share and the overall adventure, but the Spock fandom came out of nowhere, didn't it? Really, and generally speaking, yes. Yes. Uh, we had an awful lot of female fans, and they didn't hesitate to write to us, sometimes a lot <laughs> and often. Uh, but we appreciated all that because there was not much of a way we could get back to them except to answer a request for a photo or an autograph, whatever. Um, the fan conventions came later, later after – actually after the show was off mm-hmm. the air, as mm-hmm. I'm recalling. Uh, and they were started small, and then they blew up. Yeah, they, they, well, thousands the syndication of brought it across. Yes. People saw it that had never seen it before. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and I don't know how close you were to the fa- – you were working and getting your career started. I don't know how close you were to conventions and seeing the fan movement, but the fact that so much of early fandom was zine-driven, which was mostly right. women, driven by the Spock phenomenon, and then the zine movement led to clubs and conventions and really the underpinnings of fandom – that was being invented because nothing like this had ever happened before. If it wasn't a rock star or a, or a crooner, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't a movie star or a singer, uh, it, television shows really hadn't had this kind of a phenomenon behind them and, and it led to the revival. Well, there were science fiction conventions. Right. They weren't 
necessarily devoted to one particular show as Star Trek uh, conventions became later. But there were science fiction conventions. There's the annual World Science Fiction right. Convention every year, etc. cetera. Uh, there's uh, uh, WesterCon, which is, again, a major science fiction convention, but not necessarily devoted to one particular show or one particular set of characters, whatever. Uh, so there were those happening. And I went to one in Los Angeles. Uh, it would have been late in the third season. I was no longer on the show. But I went to this convention and was amazed at how many Trek fans there were there, even though this was a general science fiction convention in Los Angeles. So when the one came up in New York uh, several years later, I was invited, and they expected about 500 people, and thousands came. They were overwhelmed, (laughs) but they were all Trek fans. It was all devoted to one show, not the field of science fiction per se. Right. They, they they did that because they were being resented by the old mainline sci-fi fans when Star Trek basically were taking over the litcons. Yes. And said, why don't you get your own show, your own convention? And they did. Well, I uh, – yeah. The, the other thing, it's, here's a lady from Toledo, Ohio. and The, the letter is funny. It's erudite. It's literate. And uh, that's – you did have your share from the 10-year-old kids wanting pictures or, or, of course. or the 40-year-old guys wanting pictures. <laughs> but did you see a share of – I mean did it strike you or anyone else who had been around the industry about the level of, what did I say, intelligence behind the letters that, fan, that Star Trek was getting? The ones that we actually saw were very, very intelligent and uh, not necessarily quite like this one. But, uh, uh, but they all exhibited you know, that intelligence, that ability to see a good story, interesting characters – uh, and uh, we, those were directed back to us so we could see them and read them and tried to give personal answers to those. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this, was a, if this reminds you of something typical or if this is really a standout, but it seems to me you must have seen this and thought, wow, I bet we'll be talking about this 50 years from now. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> Who knew? Before we go, I cannot leave this subject of this side of paradise without asking you a little bit about that because uh, – Nathan Butler is the name written. You have teleplay, and he had the story credit. It's a classic episode. It's a Spock show. It's kind of cementing your role as the curator and and evolver of Spock, you and Leonard Nimoy almost, as much as anyone. And um, uh, tell us a little bit about the story of that. Nathan Butler is a pseudonym, right? Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The script didn't work. Um, And Roddenberry came to me and he said, uh, if you can rewrite this to my satisfaction and NBC's, you will be my story editor. We had already gone through two. And because uh, I, I had been with the show since the day Gene started it. Right. I, I mean, writing it, you know, that very first presentation. So I knew the show. And I read the script over again and I, I went back into him and I said, you know what? This story is about Mr. Sulu. It shouldn't be. It should be about Spock. Because the spores open him up so that we can see who this character is. And um, the other thing was the spores were only in a cavern, in a cave. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't go in the cave, you didn't get infected and that was that. Don't go in the cave. Um, My answer was have it all over the planet. You cannot escape this. That's why everyone is so affected. And Roddenberry said, go write it. And I did. Um, I love being able to open up Mr. Spock. I loved being able to do that and to show a side of him. There is humanity there. There is emotion there. That love is – he is capable of love. 
Because we've had that little hint in The Naked Time, yes, right? Yes, right. exactly. And um, it turned out to be a very, very good episode. Uh, I enjoyed writing it. The actors enjoyed doing it. Uh, someone reminded me that uh, Jill Ireland was there under the watchful eye of her husband, Charles Bronson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, you weren't going to mess with Jill. Uh, but she, she was very good. She was very prepared. She, and she's a talented actress, right. no, no doubt. Um, and uh, I thought we got a very, very good show out of this. Uh, there was fun in it, but there was one thing at the very end when Kirk is taunting Spock to try and break him out of the, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, spell of the spores. Um, he, he talks about uh, – he insults Spock's parents. And Spock says, my father was an ambassador and my mother's a teacher. And then we got the story rolling, so he cracked out and, and he became mm-hmm. Spock again. Uh, <laughs> but I kept thinking about that later on, and I said, you know what? I've got to write that story. And that became Journey to Babel in the uh, second season. Right. And, of course, I was teasing there about Nathan Butler, the pen name for the great Jerry Saul, mm-hmm. who had written The Corbinite Maneuver, was no stranger to the show, making early sales. But um, uh, to come in and – Yeah. So much of what we know about Spock was continually being added, but this was the first, not little drop, but first full-blown 60 minutes of, of evolving that would lead to Muck Time and Journey to Babel and, and on down the line. I'm so glad you were there, too. Um, you had the same passion that this letter, this letter writer <laughs> picked up on it. She knew what was going on. Yes. <laughs> but it was fun to, to be able to delve into that character and go, if you will, where no man had gone before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Vulcan or otherwise. Anyway, Dorothy, thank you so much for, uh, thank you. for joining me today. We're going to have you back for a few other episodes, too. And uh, remember, you can find this great fan letter from Beverly Corcoran of Toledo, Ohio, the day after This Side of Paradise first aired at facebook.com slash The Trek Files. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash The Trek Files. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynimichek.com. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network